the direct consumer model in agriculture and in uh, farming where traditionally farmers have taken, they sell a dollar worth of product, they're making less than a dollar margin on it, the farmer themselves. So farmers are, they're starting to get smart to that and they're investing in their own processing facilities. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey everyone, Annie Dickerson here together with the awesome Julie Lamb. I always try to think of good descriptors, but I can't get past like fabulous, awesome. That wham, bam, Julie Lamb was the best I could come up with, but I'm going to keep thinking about it. Hey, I'll take whatever you want to give me. I always say, sometimes people call me Annie and I'm like, right. hey, look, I'll, I'll take whatever you want to call me as long as it's yeah. not a bad name. You know? yeah. <laughs> the best was yesterday, somebody call, they called us Julie Dickerson and Annie Lamb. Oh and I'm like, yep, gosh, that's-, that's awesome. That's pretty much it. There you go. Yep. That's so we Answer to both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's new over on your side of the bay? Oh, you know, just keep it on, keep it on. But I'm pretty excited with all that's going on in our business. I know that a, a, a lot of our listeners may not get the the behind the, the scenes mm-hmm. view of a lot that goes on at Good Egg Investments. But I know that our listeners know that you and I are always looking for new ways to grow, to learn, to provide new opportunities. And so, you know, one of the things I'm really excited about is this sort of growth phase in our business and how we're sort of, we're trying to figure out new ways to continue to grow the business so that we can serve more people, make a greater impact. Um, and so I think that's, that's what I'm focused on is like everything I'm trying to, you know, it's a new thing. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. It's so cool because, you know, we're, we just happen to come across the right things and the right people at the right time. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess it's luck, you know, some of it's luck. I think some of it's intentional on our part as well, but, um, yeah, super excited for, for the opportunity to be able to scale and grow and have you be in your zone of genius and have me be in my zone of genius and, uh, be able to, at the end of the day, impact more folks like our listeners to listen to the show and, uh, figure out how we can continue to add more value. So yeah, super fun right now. Lots of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, that business growth, actually, that dovetails, dovetails nicely with our conversation today, where we talk with Chris Raleigh. He's the founder and CEO of Harvest Returns. Now, I first met not Chris, but somebody on his team at FinCon over, I think, three years ago now. And at the time, they had started their business in 2016. And they invest in um, farming businesses. And I knew nothing about it. And you and I were just starting uh-huh. Good Egg Investments. I was like, I don't have time for, what is it? You do farmland? I don't, I don't know what this is about. And I'm like, cool, give me your business card. I'll think about it. Maybe we'll swap some emails. And so time goes by and they're like, they're growing. They've invested in 24 projects in the last five years and they have a fascinating business model. So happy and so grateful when their team reached back out and asked if we would have Chris on the podcast. I was like, yes, I'm ready now. I'm ready to dig in to this whole new business and this, all these very interesting projects that they are investing in. So I always love shows like this where I get to start from ground zero. I know nothing. <laughs> and then I we go in and we get to ask all the questions on behalf of our listeners. But what about you? What were some of your takeaways from the show? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it was so interesting because as I mentioned in the show, there seem to be a lot of similarities between the industrial market where we had Neil Walgren on our show and this where it's not so much about the land or the investment, but it's about the company that you're partnering with. And you really dig into their numbers and their financials and, you know, the, you know, future opportunity that they have in the market that they're investing in or that they're playing and not investing in, but the market that they're playing in. And so it's just really interesting to understand sort of the structure of it all. So it's very different from multifamily apartments that we buy and the approach to doing that. However, there is one similarity that he brought up that I loved because it was a very compelling reason to me to look at this industry to an, as an, you know diversification play to invest in. But the, he had mentioned that, you know, that it's very um, similar agriculture and real estate investing, because on the one hand, you have real estate investing, which we all will always need a place to live. Right. And then you've got the agriculture side, which is you'll always have to eat. Um, I don't know that there will ever be a day or a time when we don't need to eat. Um, and so it's just interesting to hear that perspective. And there were a number of other things. So it was that the fact that, you know, just like we invest in real estate because we always need a place to live. They invest in agriculture and farming because people always need to eat. It's inflation-based and it's an uncorrelated asset, right? And so it's just, and he went on. I mean, that was just the few things I was able to scribble down in the time that he was talking. But to listen to the show, because he talks about all the different reasons why they invest in, in the farming business. And so which is so fascinating to learn. I love learning about these alternative investment opportunities. And it's definitely a focus for us at Good Egg is how can we expand? I think that's more of our long-term vision. Right now, we focus on multifamily and storage and mobile home parks. But how can we get to a point where we are able to offer diversified um, opportunities to our investors? And I think right now is such an important time for investors to be thinking about that as well because of everything that we're going through. Um, in the world. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that was one thing that stuck out to me too, was, you know, it turns out people like to live indoors and people like to eat. So <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to invest in two things, invest in real estate and invest in, in farming. And it's fascinating to hear him talk about how the farming industry has changed over the years and where he thinks it's going to go and how their investments sort of play into the changing landscape of farming. And they always say, you know, the best investments you can make are in real estate and in business. And so he talks about a lot of the opportunities they're seeing to invest in, um, in farming businesses. So for all of our listeners, if you know nothing about these types of investments, don't worry, we cover it all in this show. And whether you're considering investing in farming businesses or you're investing in multifamily or rental properties, whatever it is, a great place to start is to get a copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good. And we have a free copy for all of you. Just uh, go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. And with that, let's dive into our conversation with Chris Raleigh. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Annie. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, Chris, you are both an entrepreneur and a captain in the Navy Reserve, helping to manage hundreds of sailors operating across Europe and Africa. 
And on top of that, you're the founder and CEO of Harvest Returns, which allows everyday investors to invest in production farming and agribusiness. Now, I will be the first to admit that I don't know the first thing about either of those things, which is why I'm so excited to dig in with you and also to share with our listeners more about the types of opportunities that you can help them invest in. So start by telling us more about how you got started in this business in the first place. I assume you had started in the Navy first, Mm -hmm. and then what led you to start investing in farming or agribusiness of all things? Yeah. So I did the initial part of my formative years in the Navy and traveling a lot overseas. And my first job after leaving active duty was working in commercial real estate. And that's where I caught the sort of real estate bug and the real estate investing bug. And so like a lot of um, people that get into real estate investing, I started out small and gradually built my own portfolio and my own account and then started investing with other people passively. And uh, the financial crisis of 2008 happened and I use that as an opportunity to find some cheap assets and grow my portfolio rapidly because that's obviously we all know the best time to buy when when uh, things are on sale, not when when um, properties are high. And so did well with that. And then uh, several years later, I, I became interested in diversifying. You know, I'd invested in single family, multifamily, some commercial office, things like that. And one of the assets that I thought about that some of it was based on my extensive travels throughout the Navy was farming and agriculture. And so I started looking at ways to do that. And you know, it turns out it's not very easy to invest in a farm unless you kind of grow up in a farming background or you've got significant amounts of capital. We've all heard the stories of, of Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, Ted Turner, or major farmland owners across the US. But for the average individual investor, there aren't a lot of ways to do that, especially back in 2016 when we started this company. So looked at, became frustrated that there weren't a lot of mechanisms to invest in farming. And at the same time, I'd wanted to start a company. So I got together with my co-founder, Austin Manis, and we decided to put together a company to allow people to invest in agriculture. And we've been growing ever since. Wow. So it sounds like, okay, so first I want to go back to 2008 and the period after that. So you had been investing in real estate up to that point, and then you see this happen. And I think what a lot of people do is they see a crash like that happen and they run the other way, right? They're like, well, clearly this real estate thing isn't going anywhere. It's going down. So I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go invest in something else. So what was it that led you to say, okay, no, this is the time to double down. Was that something that you had learned through your investing before or something that you had learned about finances growing up? Or how did you know to do that? Yeah. I mean, I've been around a while and been through some cycles in uh, both the stock market and the real estate market. And one of the things you learn after you've been around as, as an investor a while is discipline to when you need to hold, buy when you need to buy and sell when you need to sell. And the old adage, buy low, sell high is is exactly true. So when asset prices, the hard part of that, as we know, is timing, right? So it's nearly impossible to time the top or a bottom of a market, no matter whether you're talking the stock market or real estate or cryptocurrency or, or whatever it is today. And I guess I was fortunate and, and disciplined to be able to see that some opportunities there. And the other thing, don't want to skip ahead too much, but looking for opportunities in various investment classes is important. I've learned, saw an opportunity in agriculture, still see that as a very compelling type of asset, even more so now than ever. Hmm. And so what were you investing in? You mentioned single family and multifamily. Was that what you were investing in before? 
Yeah, primarily I don't like a mixed use building in a lot of those assets I did liquidate several years ago to help fund this company organically and, and start it on my own. But you'd name it, I'd kind of invested in it. And what markets were these in? So I'm from Dallas-Fort Worth, which has been a a hot market for a long time. It's actually been kind of a slow growth market when I first started investing. And then sort of outside people outside of DFW realized it and became much more overheated. And we've gone through a couple of cycles, but not necessarily the boom bust cycles that you see in real estate and on some of the coastal areas. Gotcha. Okay. And so you, you spent several years investing in single family and multifamily. And at a certain point, you wanted to diversify. So you started looking at different options and stumbled upon agriculture. Now, so for most people, myself included, if I stumbled across an opportunity that I knew nothing about, I'd be like, mm, I don't know if that's right for me. Seems risky. Don't know enough about it. What was it about the opportunity or agriculture in general that really drew you to it? Because it sounds like those opportunities weren't easy to find early on. So you probably had to do some digging. So what was it that made you think, oh, there's an opportunity here? So as I mentioned, I traveled a lot, got to see a lot of the developing world, places where people don't take their food for granted and therefore they don't take farming for granted. So If you look at agriculture and real estate in particular, those are two industries that touch every single person on earth, whether you realize it or not. And I think we're all pretty familiar with real estate because you go home, we live in a house or an apartment or whatever, and people are pretty familiar that they can invest in real estate at some level or another. But agriculture is one that touches every single one of us because we all eat. The demographics are very compelling because the world population continues to grow. So just like housing, people are going to need a place to live. People are going to need to eat. And the other thing that's interesting about demographics is as populations become more wealthy, they tend to consume more protein and more calories. So that also drives up agriculture and investment class. And when I started researching it, I saw that not only was just a growth industry, it's also the returns that you can get from agriculture are are competitive with other forms of real estate. And when it comes right down to it, agriculture is a form of real estate. It's based on land primarily, although we're doing some interesting things like indoor agriculture, which involves a land component, a real estate component, but not necessarily the same as going out and investing you know, in a thousand acres of a wheat farm or a raw land, that sort of thing. For a lot of different reasons, we liked the agriculture. We started looking when we first started the company, we were afraid that there would be not too many opportunities because other side of the investing equation is our deal flow. And that started out, we were worried about that because we thought, well, farmers all over the country have guaranteed USDA subsidized loans and those sorts of things, which is true. However, those type of kind of guaranteed loans and financing are really optimized for traditional farmers, row crop farmers. So people growing corn and soy and things like that, as you might drive through the Midwest US, people, that's sort of what they associate with farming. But it turns out there's a lot more farming kind of opened our eyes to it. And we like to open our investors' eyes to different types of agriculture and agribusinesses they can invest in. I wanted to ask something really quick. You, I wanted to go back to what you said earlier, that farming is not something that it was typically, and maybe still not today, because Annie and I haven't heard about it, but that doesn't mean anything. But it, you said that it's not easy for people to invest in farming. Why is that? It's just not an asset class that comes to most people's minds. So, And it's also fairly new as an investment vehicle. So the first sort of 
people or entities actually to invest in agriculture were some institutions back in the 80s. Institutions like university endowments and pension funds started buying up farmland because it's not correlated with the stock market. So it was fairly safe, low volatile, steady returns, steady appreciation. It's inflation-based, just like real estate. We all know that, yes, you have market cycles, but in the trend, you know, the overall trend is upward as, as inflation continues to shrink the value of dollars, but increase the value of assets. And that's why we all as real estate investors want to hold those assets. Same thing is exactly true with farming. This is fascinating. And so I'm sure you talk to people all the time and potential investors who know very little about this, myself included. And so give us your high level like overview, your pitch, your spiel about what these opportunities are all about and why people should consider investing in them. Yeah. So I mentioned the demographics. Everyone has to eat and the population continues to grow. So that's sort of the underlying thesis. We're in some very niche spaces of agriculture. And although people are able to invest, Julie's point, people are earlier point, able to invest in like farmland REITs, publicly traded, that's one option, which you can certainly do that. These funds hold large uh, swaths of farmland that they've bought up and there's some economies of scale there and they pay a fairly steady dividend. The problem with investing in the public markets and they're susceptible to market corrections, they're not necessarily, you're taking an uncorrelated asset, you're putting it in a correlated investment vehicle, publicly traded stock. So that's why we're a not big favor of necessarily that vehicle. But the kind of focus areas that we like, one is grass-fed livestock. So if you go into the supermarket, you'll see your hamburger meat and you'll see grass-fed hamburger meat or grass-fed, grass-finished hamburger meat or beef or lamb. And you'll see that those particular products generally tend to get a premium. They have various health benefits, lower fat, lower cholesterol, those sorts of things. And we like it because it's a premium product. The prices are higher. They're not necessarily correlated with the overall commodity prices associated with cattle that we're able to produce nice, steady returns for our investors. The other sort of niches that we like is indoor agriculture. And this is a rapidly growing investment field. So when I talk about indoor agriculture, there's kind of two primarily parts or components of it. One is large-scale greenhouses, where people are putting them in sort of rural areas and growing produce regionally that wouldn't normally grow in that climate. So People growing tomatoes and peppers in the Midwest when and leafy greens, when most of those products are grown on the West Coast out there close to you guys in places like Salinas Valley. And we're growing it closer to where it's consumed in the Midwest or, or East Coast. And so that's saving food miles, consumption, saves water when it's produced. And right now, most of the investments in that space are from institutional investors. So we found some deal flow that is a kind of a smaller scale and enables us to bring in investors at a much lower investment minimum than say an institutional private equity firm who's investing fifty hundred million dollars in one of these large scale farms. We'll get back to our conversation with Chris in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. 
We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations. And as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Chris Raleigh. So talk to us a little bit about what does the money actually do? So you raise some money. What does it do in a deal? In multifamily, we know we're raising the money to help with the down payments, the repairs and such, and the remodeling and all of these things. When you raise money for farming investments, where does the money go and what does it do? Is there any positive impact on what investors are doing? Talk to us about that. Yeah, so we basically different types of investment, different structures, some of our project developments. So like brownfield development, just like you might invest in apartment complex development where people are starting with a piece of dirt and building an apartment. You know, there's some risk involved there, but your returns are higher or there's sort of the value add. We see some of that as well. The strategies are a little similar. We're investing in a farm. We recently did a investment in a sheep company or a lamb company where basically outsource the production of their sheep and they're bringing some of that in-house and they also outsource some of the processing of their sheep and they're bringing some of that in-house with the capital that we help raise. They're going to expand their processing facility. So that increases their margins. So that's kind of a form of value add that, that real estate investors might be familiar with. And then they're selling direct to consumer. And so that we're seeing more and more of that, the direct to consumer model in agriculture and in uh, farming where traditionally farmers have taken, they sell a dollar worth of product, they're making less than a dollar margin on it, the farmer themselves. So farmers are, they're starting to get smart to that and they're investing in their own processing facilities. So taking out the middleman, they're investing in their own direct consumer websites or using some third-party websites where they can sell their, it's kind of the selling, just like selling maybe at a farmer's market, a small scale backyard farmer, hobby farmer might sell, take their extra tomatoes and sell them on a weekend in a farmer's market. It's the same thing, but using the web to get broader consumer base. I want to clear something up for our listeners and for myself. So I know there are some companies out there that invest in farm land, right? They buy the land and then it's almost like a triple net lease. They lease it to farmers who then use the land to farm their crop and and then they make a profit, right? But that is not what you guys are doing. You guys are investing in existing farming businesses that are already doing well, but they are like sheep example. They're wanting to expand in some way. And so the capital helps them to do that. Is that correct? 
That is correct. So we, you know, we're not really involved in the operating kind of the sharecropping model that's very prevalent here in the U.S. Generally, the people that we are helping fund their operations, they are either established or they're setting up something new. So we've got some entrepreneurial type people we work with. We're bringing in capital to invest in you know starting up their vertical farm or establishing a vertical farm. And it's part of a more complex capital stack where they might just like, if you're doing a real estate syndication, you've got hopefully the person, the sponsor has some skin in the game. They're bringing in some outside investors and then they, they might have a, a bank loan. And we do the same sort of thing on our larger scale projects, especially our greenhouses where they might be a $20 million project, but we're only bringing in maybe a million dollars as part of the capital stack. Got it. And then, cause I assume that these businesses, even though they're all agribusinesses, are going to be different. They're going to have different business models, different sizes, different experience, track record, all of that. So what do you look for when you're evaluating a potential opportunity and what makes it sort of pass the mark, so to speak? Yeah. So probably a lot of your listeners, I've evaluated like multifamily deals and kind of, they all look more or less the same. People are, there's some CapEx and there's some some variable cost and the rents and the revenue is all pretty easy to understand. Agriculture is different. We really have to dig into these models because there's not just the top line sales of what, are they selling to consumer? Are they selling to a wholesaler? You've got a lot of biology involved, whether you're talking about tree crop where you plant trees and it takes three to four years to get your first crop, to get your first revenue. And that's a different sort of financial model versus you're in a, a vertical farm and it takes maybe six months to a year to develop. And then it just starts cranking out lettuce and leafy greens six or seven times a year or multiple crop cycles, which is actually another benefit of indoor ag. You've got multiple crop cycles and it's much more flexible than growing field grown produce. So it is, every deal is unique. We do on some of them, there's a lot of commonalities. Like when we do our grass fed cattle notes, those are pretty similar, although there are numerous ways that livestock farmers and ranchers produce revenue. So it does uh, require a lot of education, both on our parts and our investors' parts. And we learn as we go along. However, one of the things that's common, probably exactly common with real estate is you're looking for a team and you're looking for a team with a track record. So when somebody comes to us with a project, we look deeply into their background. Have you done this before? And maybe you haven't done this particular crop or this particular type of operation, but but maybe you have, you put together a company, you built a company, you've grown sales, increased revenues, you turn something around, that sort of thing. So sponsor track record and sponsor ability to execute on the plan they put together are, are critical as well as the numbers and in, in the market conditions and things like that. When you look at these types of opportunities and you identify one that you say, okay, yes, this is one that we want to partner with a farmer on, give us your top three things that make a good investment opportunity where you're like, oh yes, this is definitely something we want to bring to our investors. Yes. So the first one is definitely the sponsor track record, not just when we do background checks, make sure they pass those and things like that, but but that ability to execute and promise to be a long-term partner because we want to be with, work closely. We're the asset manager. So we want to work closely throughout the life cycle of the deal. The second is the risk identifying and uh, mitigating the risk. So Every deal has different flavors of risk. In agriculture, there are some unique ones such as disease and weather impacts, droughts, things like that. Some of those, well, that's one of the reasons we like indoor agriculture because a lot of that, those risks are mitigated. But has the sponsor identified the risk and have they put in place plans to mitigate them beyond just you know insurance, which was kind of what we expect in the, the real estate side? 
And then the last is, um, you know, where are they growing and how are they growing it and what's the market for it? So it's just something, is it a trendy product? Is it a product that's got a nice steady growth year over year? Is it a product that's insulated from swings and volatile swings in commodities, things like that? And what are their offtake agreements? So real estate, you have renters, agriculture, you have offtake partners. So, you know, are they selling to Whole Foods, name brand? Are they selling direct to consumer online? Are they selling to a big distributor? Is it just a commodity product? where they bag it and ship it off and it sits in a grain silo for you know months on end. So those are all types of questions that we answer, Julie. Thank you for that. Tell us a little bit about what the returns look like on average. What do the hold times look like? In the multifamily deals that we do, it's usually somewhere between three to seven years is what you typically see. And returns are somewhere, I mean, it varies on the type of investment, class A, B, C, whatever, right? It goes all the way up from, I don't know, 11% all the way up to 18% annualized returns. What could investors expect on these types of investments? So the whole times is roughly similar. One of the things that probably makes us unique among ag investments is because I was a commercial real estate investor for a long time. I tend to structure these deals as as I did commercial real estate deals. So we look for a defined exit duration, defined exit strategy. Traditionally, farmland investing, you go out and you buy a piece of land and you sit on it for 10 or 20, 30 years or a pension fund does. You collect those kind of low cap rate rents and then you hope that there's some appreciation. You sell it at the end and that's where you make most of your IRR. So for us, because we're investing in operating businesses, operating farming businesses, the types of exits we look for and the durations, yeah, three to five years is probably three to seven years is roughly what we see as well. And the types of exits we're looking for is a cash out refinance. We're all familiar with that one. Able to cash out at a targeted rate of return from cash flows or also some sort of liquidity event. So if it's a smaller farm, vertical farm, they're hoping to get bought by we're hoping to see like kind of the McDonald's, the franchise model of vertical farms, small vertical urban farms. We haven't seen that yet, but we're kind of building a portfolio of those to see what that looks like. And those exits, as far as returns go, we've done some debt, which is 8 to 12%. Our investors are, as you guys know, everybody's got a, a real desire for fixed income right now and yields because the interest rates are so low. So we've had some success in raising capital on our livestock cattle notes and things like that. And then on the equity side, yeah, north of 14, 18%, sometimes on the development projects like indoor farms, north of 20%. We've had a few exits. We have another few that are several that are in progress. We've done a total of 24 deals. So we're just watching that closely to see how it pans out. You mentioned asset management. I'm curious when there's an already an existing business, what's the role that you play in terms of managing the asset? Yeah, we take some fees. We take generally a carried interest in the deals. So when a deal successfully funds, we will basically share in the returns from the investors, primarily at the exit and any distributions that are paid off, kind of your traditional waterfall sort of um, sort of structure where the limited partners are taking most of the cash and then we're, we're splitting based on sometimes preferred return, sometimes other types of structures. And so we're seeing that we can successfully work with a sponsor. Obviously, we've got things like K-1s and tax documents to distribute, and we pay out distributions from the sponsor. We pool investors. So we will make a single investment and then we'll pool multiple investors and invest as a single investor or a single loan to that sponsor's cap table. So they're not dealing with 
a bunch of investors. We've got the back end structure, the the infrastructure, and the, to handle those larger size cap tables. Gotcha. So you're doing a lot of the investor relations, investor management, but are you involved in the day to day business at all? No, not at all. That's we look for that in the sponsor. We look for people that know how to grow things and know how to how to run a business. Nice. Fascinating. It's so similar to, we had uh, Neil Walgren on our one of our most recent episodes talking about the industrial market in investing. And it was so fascinating because they put a heavy emphasis on the companies that are their tenants that are renting the properties. And so it's very similar, it sounds like, in that you guys put a heavy emphasis on these farming businesses and what their track record has been. And sort of, like you said, looking where is there a market for what they're growing and all of that stuff. So it's so fascinating. I want to go back to something that you said earlier in the beginning of the show, you talked about, as we all know, 2008 was a great time to buy and now might not be when prices are at an all-time high. You guys have bought five 24 deals, it sounds like, over the last five years. Is that is that right? That's right, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so I want to know your opinion about where we are at right now. Why is it a compelling time right now for us to invest in agriculture or in the farming business? Yeah, so market cycles are, are different than real estate. Farmland, there's been a long-term commodity slump in sort of the row crop farms, corn, wheat, and soy up until very recently. And that has quickly reversed itself in the, the past six months or so. So people that are holding kind of farmland got in in the past several years are probably doing pretty well, at least on, on paper with those valuations. Our, our particular types of offerings are, are different because we're in operating businesses that are insulated from commodity cycles. We're not really worried about what the economy is doing as long as people keep eating and keep keep buying. Now, granted, we are in this, this sort of higher end market in some of our products, which generally it's just like class A real estate. It's going to do well, whether the economy tanks or, or not, because there's always going to be that luxury element. There's always going to be the, the class A tenants that need those higher end accommodations or office building sort of things. So, we're not too worried about what the economy is doing because we know that people are going to get the population is going to keep going and people are going to keep eating. Love that. I'm curious. <laughs> and this may be, it's, I don't know how related this is. So I'm just going to put it out there because I'm curious <laughs> how much the change in the way people eat, right? So we've got organic, non-organic, GMO, non-GMO. We've got keto, paleo, Whole30, Atkins, all the different varieties, right? <laughs> Gluten-free. Like People are eating all sorts of different types of diets these days. Do you stay on top of those trends? Do you factor that in or does it not matter so much? Yeah, hugely. And it's in fact, it's funny. I usually almost start off with that going that, hey, consumer preferences are more and more fragmented. When I grew up, I would eat whatever my mom put in front of me. Now kids are, they want their organic vegan bento boxes yep. or what, you know, very <laughs> yeah. specialized sort of food. They want to show up to their friends and put it on Instagram and things like that. And, and that's cool. So effect of that is that consumer food preferences are, are becoming much more fragmented. So our agriculture industry writ large has grown just the opposite direction, very commoditized, very industrial the past 50 years. Why? Because it's cheaper to produce food that way. And it's, you can just produce in scale. So what we're seeing is, is more farmers, whereas for the past 200 years in the U.S., the number of farmers have shrunk. There's only about 2 million farmers. There used to be over 90% of the population was farmers 200 years ago. So we're seeing more and more farmers starting, more and more farm entrepreneurs that are doing things like organic, that are doing plant-based protein. We helped fund a, a spirulina algae company last year up in New York, which is a 
form of alternative protein that people are putting in smoothies and things like that. That is actually, it sounds weird, but it's actually really good. We're doing <laughs> cattle, grass-fed sheep, things like that is part of that trend that people want you know, very specific, whether it's a keto diet or, or things like that, they want very specific types of protein. So we're excited that we're able to kind of help with those food trends. The other part of that equation is that the ag funding industry the finance industry hasn't kept up with those trends because they're just not nimble or flexible enough. The ag credit unions are run the way they have been run for 50 years. And so as a startup, when we kind of attack this market and look to disrupt it, we're able to provide much more creative financing structures for the farmers that are doing these unique things. I'm so fascinating. What, given what you now know and having done 24 deals, what do you see as the future of the agricultural business? Yeah. So we're going to see more and more of this fragmentation. We're going to see more people growing locally, more different types of production, whether it's hydroponics or aquaponics, vertical farms on a small scale and large scale, unique types of protein, all to meet that, that consumer demand. There'll always be a, because the population is large and because not everybody can afford every type of food, there's always going to be a room for large scale industrialized agriculture across the world. But in the US, those are the trends. Now overseas, especially in developing countries, it's almost the opposite where you have all these smallholder farmers that are producing food, like they have produced food for hundreds of years on an acre or so. And, and we're seeing some consolidation there as they become is they get access to more sources of capital. We've done a couple of uh, deals in developing countries and we're excited to be part of that trend as well. And that's ultimately where the large scale growth is going to be. Nice. Well, I could go on and on and ask so many more questions. It's so fascinating to hear about this industry. I am definitely intrigued and will want to chat with you after the show for sure. But we're going to move into our life and money show spotlight round where we're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is, what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? Well, one of my hobbies and pastimes has been travel. So with COVID winding down, I'm excited to get out and, and see the world some more and working on scheduling some trips both in the U.S. and abroad. Nice. What are nice. some what's places on, on your list? Yeah. So the only continent I have been to is Antarctica. So that's on a bucket list sometime. Eastern Europe, haven't spent much time there. I'd like to get out there. Parts of South America, haven't seen. Yeah, just lots of different places and go back to some of the places that I've enjoyed. Like Iceland was a tremendous, amazing place. I'd like to go back there. Nice. Nice. We're trying to get to Iceland too. Probably won't make it out there until next year. Where do you like to go there? So I did kind of the, I took my daughter a couple of years ago and we did kind of the Southern route, which is really interesting. Ocean, mountains, farms, visit a couple of farms while we were there, that sort of thing. But now there's a live volcano that people are, it's become mm. kind of a tourist attraction. Mm -hmm. So that's also interesting. Oh, I, nice. I think I've seen videos of that where they're like, they look uncomfortably close <laughs> to the lava flow. I'm like, is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've actually stood next to the lava flow in the Hawaiian Islands when mm. I was a kid. And yeah. it was so cool because you would watch the lava flow very slowly just creeping down the mountain and then actually pouring into the water and just, you know, all this like fog and not fog, but steam, I guess, from it. But it was pretty cool. It's a pretty cool thing to see. All right. Second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you might be able to share with the audience that'll make an impact in their lives right now? So, so for the younger set, let's say 30 and below, start investing early. Like you hear it over and over again from financial experts, but don't wait. You know, even if you don't have a lot of money, find something 
learn about it and invest in it, take a chance. And you've got to do it, whether it's buy that first rental property or invest on a crowdfunding site or whatever it is, put some money to work and learn. The only way you're going to learn how to invest is to take some bruises and lose some money and get better at it. So true. Mistakes are only mistakes if you don't learn from them, but otherwise mistakes are the best thing for you because you'll learn and you'll grow. But yeah, I think, you know, I think the next generation definitely has been listening because with the whole fire movement right now, there's many, many young people that are in their 20s and early 30s, I think, that are achieving financial freedom at such an early age when traditionally folks take 30 plus years in their career to make it to that point. So love that. All right. Last question is around life and money in the world. What is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? We're helping farmers farm and meet their dreams and expand their businesses and start new ones. And that's important because it's feeding everybody healthy food. Love it. It's a win-win all around. Well, Chris, this has been fascinating. And I'm sure not only Julie and me, but all of our (laughs) listeners will want to go and follow up and learn more about how they can get involved in the projects that you guys are investing in. So tell everyone what's the best place they can go to learn more. So easy starting point is our website, harvestreturns with an S.com. We're also on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those places. And we try to provide as much educational information as we can, because this is a new asset class and we want people to learn before they put their money to work. Chris Raleigh, founder and CEO of Harvest Returns. Chris, thank you so much for being here with us and sharing all your insights about investing in agribusiness. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.